This is Life Change Church, Muskegon. What are you doing while you listen? Driving, mowing the lawn, folding the laundry, multitasking? We're so glad you're here. Subscribe and share this weekly podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, on iTunes, or at mylifechangechurch.tv. Join us in person Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11.30, or catch us on Facebook Live. Here's Pastor Ron Rands. Well, good morning. It is going to be morning for a few more minutes. Today, as we uh, continue to study Nehemiah, I want to um, help you unfold this book, which is uh, such a, a historical space of truth where God began to work on a person's life like he wants to do in this house, in this church. I believe that God wants to do some rebuilding here. And, and I believe that he wants to do that individually, but he also wants to do it unitedly. And it's so important that we learn how to hear and listen and follow the course that he's moving and putting those desires in our heart. And what I mean by that is that so many of us um, become in a space of complacency. And that, well, you know, we, we get to that place where it's not my problem. I met with a, a pastor, uh, a new uh, pastor from in this community this week, and I'd never, never met with him before. And as we had um, lunch together, he's been around um, basically the United States. He's been in Minneapolis. He's been in California. He's been in Dallas. Uh, been in some other areas. And, and so he goes, this is the hardest place he's ever pastored. And he's been pastoring for uh, 20 some years. And I've been pastoring for more than that too, but I've been, uh, I came from the Granville, Jenison area, and then the Grand Haven area, and then the Lord moved me up here. And there is just a, a, a space of oppression on this city that was uh, very unique. And what I mean by that, it's on a people, whereas in Muskegon, it seems like people struggle with what I'm going to talk about today, stepping out, or struggle with improving their lives or success. Even when the word, you use the word winning or even using the word success, there just seems to be such a heaviness about this area that is not as much in other areas. And I want to share that with you today because how important it is because it goes along with history. Because in the time that Nehemiah lived, he was being moved 700 miles away and, you know, he didn't have an Uber car. He didn't have a get on, jump on a jet plane and fly over 700 miles. He had to travel that 700 miles. And then it's the same thing is what's even uh, more unique about that is that he didn't even really know what was going on. The only thing that he could really know is what his brother, Hannah and I, said to him and what the Lord was speaking to his heart. That something was troubling in your heart. I, I can remember... Um, the time where God, when I, when I had raised my, my kids and, and uh, I just adopted my, my new daughters in my life and we had three of them. And then um, my 13-year-old um, had a, uh, just a, a space of doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Okay, and, I, and you know what? You, I listened to God and I told my kids this. I go, look, I said, you may think that you're going to get away with something, but maybe my eyes aren't there, but God's are. And you know what? I want to hear what God is saying. So I remember very uh, clearly one time that the Lord spoke to my heart and says, your daughter is out there in an ice shanty right now with a young man out on the lake. And I had lived in Grand Haven and I had lived right on the lake in uh, Grand Haven was a Stearns Bayou. 
And uh, I don't remember what particular day is. All I remember is getting in my vehicle and I couldn't wait to get home and jump on my snowmobile. Now, I, I, you know, some of you know that I was a big snowmobile freak and I'd always had very, very fast snowmobiles. And I remember getting that snowmobile because the Lord had spoke to me. He had put it on my heart that my daughter was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And I got on that snowmobile and I'm bitten I'm 110 mile an hour across that lake. And you know, I guarantee you that there was some racketing, some noise going on in that ice shanty. Noise at the right here. Probably some rumble of something going 110 mile an hour across the lake. And all I remember is, is I had no idea what shanty that she was in, but I figured if the Lord could speak to me, he can show me where. You know what? Here's how he showed me. Here's this young man running outside of the shanty, trying to run for cover, man, because he knew that daddy was coming. And I had all intentions to run right over him. That was my whole intention. He got out of the way in the right time. God had very much, a lot more grace than I had at that moment. Well, the reason I share that is with you is that God wants to speak, and if he can speak to me about my daughter, he can speak to you about yours. He can speak to you about your marriage. He can speak to you about our neighborhood. He can speak to you about your workplace. God knows what's going on in people's lives. He knows what he's fashioned for them. And what's happened is that God wants to do something unique inside of all of us to be a part of the answer, be part of the solution. Anybody, anybody on the face of earth can sit there and state the obvious. In fact, I'm writing a whole message right now about that, stating the obvious. Anybody can do that. State the obvious. But can you be part of the solution of Jesus Christ? Because that's really what the Bible is full of, is notations of people that were real people, that had real issues, that could state the obvious and say, I don't even know where to start. Or what they could do is yield themselves and say, you know what, God, you put this on my heart. You're a big God. You got a big plan. Help me to be just a part of it. That's what Nehemiah is about. And so just kind of a little bit of review. Last week, and if you weren't here last week, please check it out on the website. But Last week, we began this chapter, this historical moment. It's right around 500 so B.C. And what happens is, is that Nehemiah doesn't start there, but the, the movement of God to rebuild Jerusalem, which might be the same idea of rebuilding the church. Can I, I, I believe that the church is in a bad space. And I'm not talking about this church in general. I'm talking about the church I believe that, you know, we don't see the miracles that we read about. We don't uh, get all excited. And by the way, you know, that somebody this last week accepted Jesus Christ. I happen to know who that somebody is. Accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Woo! Amen? Somebody's going to live in heaven forever. And so, but the point of it is, is that what happens is that we just don't have, we're not tied in, or we don't seem to have the, the, the literal same global or God positioning system inside of our hearts that God has for this day. And what Nehemiah is a book, or a rather a letter, talking about just like today, times. And so 500 some BC, we find Ezra, God puts it on his heart to rebuild Jerusalem, but actually where they start is the temple. What a great place to start with Jesus, amen? 
to rebuild the temple. What a great place to do is that foundation. So they start, but you know what they do? They get, like most of us, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then all of a sudden we get excited about God, and then all of a sudden things just kind of wean off. And we just kind of do the same old things that we used to do. That's exactly what happened in the book of Ezra. Here they are rebuilding the ruins. There's 50,000 people that migrate back over there during Ezra's time, and all of a sudden they just kind of get lethargic, like a lot of us do. Well, it's, you know, it's your job, Pastor, or I really don't feel called to that, or, um, you know, I don't think they'll listen. We have all of the, the excuses and the reasons, and basically what had happened was is the people began to look at the job and it was like too much. Do you, do you ever see that? That's what it feels like today. It's just too much. I mean, there's, people are just, they're, they're, they're living lives that are just so full of darkness and there's so much wide space of, of, of divorce and, and, and people, you know, people, I mean, you know what the media was tied with? The media was just tied with death for what, a couple years with COVID? Did you, do you realize that there was a lot more going on in 2019 and 2020 than COVID? But that seems to be the only thing we heard about. I've been to Ukraine, what's going on. I, I, before, I, I've been to the country of Ukraine, been, did some mission work. I understand a little kind of what's going on over there before what's going on over there. And, you know, I, I, I guess what I want to say is that are we in a space just like that? Are we in a space of ruins? What a beautiful place for God to do something amazing. What an unbelievable, I've seen God move in marriage where they were ready to give up and I've watched what God does. He, he builds it upon his plan and they are madly in love. I've watched where, where young people literally are hooked on drugs and, and they're literally uh, all depressed and I've watched them get on, you know, connected to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But yet at the same time, I've seen that same fire inside of them. And then all of a sudden they get their eyes on, well, nobody else has that fire. And so then they kind of allow the fire to wean. Kind of like if you don't, you know, if you have a fire outside right now and if you don't keep kindling it, it's going to just kind of die out. No different than today. The Bible is so, is so clear that we're supposed to be stir ourselves up. That's why we ask you as a church family to get in devotions because it keeps the fire alive. Because by design, what will happen is the cares of this world will choke out the life of God inside of your life. Jesus said it himself. He said it in parables. It will literally choke out the fire that's inside. And there's nothing more that this generation, of course every generation, but especially this generation, we can all agree that things are dark and they're growing darker. Well then, how much more will a fire be seen? If you're on fire, then how much more would the world see that fire inside of your life? So I'm going to read a passage again to you. And found in Nehemiah chapter 2. And, and what most of us don't understand is that from Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2, I know that just didn't take you that long to read chapter 1, but for Nehemiah it did. It's four months. Kislev to Nisan is four months. So whatever God was doing inside of Nehemiah chapter 1, it took four months to get to chapter 2. So please bear that in mind. Some of us get so frustrated with four hours of waiting for our, our relationship to get better. 
We think that we can go on a date and all of a sudden everything's romantic. When realizing that, our, you know what, maybe for 10 years our, our relationship has just kind of drifted apart and all of a sudden one date is going to make it on fire. I can tell you right now, no ma'am, no sir. It's going to take a time. And so here we are, four months. And what I love about this is because it gives us a picture that it isn't man-made. It was God-made because it came through prayer. Here's, here is this man named Nehemiah, and he shows us that there's not going to be a chapter 2 from chapter 1 when things are chaotic, things are in disorder, things needing new life, that the only way that's going to happen is it's going to be through prayer, a time of prayer. And what God does during that time of prayer is he begins to architect his plans. See, prayer is meant not for just for you to talk, but even more so for you to listen. That's what I love about prayer, is when God begins to start talking and begins to write on my heart how I need to be a better husband. I say, God, I, I want to be a better husband. And, and so I cast my, I go, God, help me to do that or help me to be a better grandfather. And then I unfold the need and unfold the desire that he put inside of me. And then I quiet myself. You know, when, it, when if you ever, anybody ever been in a, a hospital room and they, they do surgery on you, you know what the one thing you're not doing is moving around and talking. You're still, because that's the only way. And so you're, on, you're basically in that, on that bed, and they're doing surgery, so you can't move. They've got you numbed down, quieted, so that you, they can do surgery. Do you realize that's what prayer wants, God wants you to do? He wants you to literally get to that place where you are so quieted that he can write his ways and his thoughts on your heart and his plans. So, Pastor, that's not my prayer life. Well, that's I don't know if it took four months, but, but that's what it records here. It probably took a bit of time because Nehemiah was all, he's, he was a leader. He was a fighter. And it took him a little bit of time to quiet himself and architecturally see, well, see, I'm going to need money. I'm going to need probably some soldiers here. I'm going to need some supplies. Let's pick up Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army officers in Calvary with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Can you see that? See, you see the trouble their marriages are in? They lie in ruins. You see the pr problem our kids are in, our students are in today? They lie in ruins. You see the trouble that people are in physically with the sicknesses today? They lie in ruins. 
and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed. What is this you're going to do? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Do you believe the God of heaven is going to give you success? We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we... Lord, we need to understand your ways and your methods. And that is that you work on our hearts and you unfold your plan outside our life. That we would obey you in the things that we would do and things that we would say, the things that you would ask of us. Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us a heart that perceives those little unctions, those little uh, tickling, whatever it might be inside of us to, that moves us to do. Lord, that makes no sense to us humanly, but it's all about your plan and your design. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. May we be people that obey you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Number one in your study guide, things to ponder before we start, okay? Things that we will ponder. First is, number one, the higher the stakes, the higher the stakes, the more prayer is needed. Which means this, you know, the stake of your marriage, there's a high stakes. More prayer is needed. Do you know that every person's going to live forever somewhere? So why are we not giving ourselves to pray about it? And you say, well, Pastor, I don't even know where to start. Here's the thing that I, I, I love from uh, the books I've read about Smith Wigglesworth. He goes, you know, I never prayed long, but I never went long without praying. I mean, I, I, isn't that simple? He never prayed. Because most of us, when we think about praying, we get right away, we get really nerved up and go, I don't know how to pray long. And some of us measure ourselves and go, wow, Pastor, you really know how to pray. Or somebody else, we're going, and we measure ourselves by how lengthy their prayer is. And yet, I love Jesus' prayers that are included in the Bible. You know, and, and he says, be healed. That was prayer. It was made as a declaration unto heaven. And you know what? And it happened. Heaven came in. Prayer is heaven and earth connecting. And so I want to share with you that, you know, if you're having a rough day, first of all, God already knows about it. So tell him about it. You know why you, you say, well, why do I need to tell him something he already knows? It's because here the thing is, you need to know that you're connected to him. You need to know it. God already knows it, but you need to know it. The problem isn't God. The problem is, is the thing on top of you. You know, the, the biggest thing is this. The, the, the longest travel that you'll ever make in your whole life is from your heart to your brain. Most people don't take the journey. God is already in your heart. He's already depositing desires. He's already talking to your heart. Guess where he works? From your heart. But most of us don't engage because when you pray, most of you pray from your, your head. It's where you pray. And God doesn't mind that you pray from your head, but he really wants you to learn how to pray from your heart. So what I've learned in my prayer language is this. I pray what's in my head, and it doesn't take that long to get rid of it. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others. 
but I, get, I pray what's on in my head, and I keep praying it until it's no longer in my head, and then all of a sudden my heart, oh, God's there. He's always been there. He never left me. He never forsake me. Now I can start praying from my heart. You know what really start, things start happening in your life is when you start praying from your, you guessed it, your heart. Cast all your care upon God. Why? Because God wants you to start praying from your, say it with me, your heart. He wants you to start praying from your heart. Nehemiah, it took him four months, and all of a sudden he started, he's believing God. He's seeking God, and he, he's got a God-sized thing that's going on in your life. Every one of us face God-sized challenges, but most of us won't take it to prayer first. So the, your first lesson, higher stakes, it's prayer. Take time to pray about it. And you know what taking time to pray about it is? Take time to listen. Don't just pray. Take time to listen. You haven't prayed until you're quiet in yourself to listen. Number two, face your fear that keeps you from stepping out. God is going, from prayer, God is always going to give you directives and planning. He always is. And one of them is, is maybe it's just being quiet. That might be. For Nehemiah, it was four months, don't do anything. Now, I guarantee you, three months and 29 days, Nehemiah goes, I only got two more days left. That's not what he was doing. He didn't know if it was going to take six months or six years. All he knew is that God had put something on his heart and that he needed to pray about it. When God puts something on your heart, what's the first thing you need to do? Pray about it, Pastor. Pray about it. I got, let's, let's go home. All right? You need to what? Pray about it. First thing, when God puts something on your heart, you need to pray about it. It's going to be God's size when he puts it on there. You need to pray about it. He's got a design. How many things have you ever prayed for and you're all excited about and God does it way different than what you thought? Because he's, what's happening is, is that God put it on your heart for it to happen. Your imagination started seeing it happen, and then all of a sudden you began, you started stepping into it because you, you had your own way of doing it. I mean, that, that's just really what the Bible talks about over and over and over again. Pray about it. Next one is this stepping out. You're going to have to take steps in your walk. Here's, let me help you with this part of it, because many of us think, well, I don't know what to say. Well, that didn't work for Moses. Okay? Well, I'm too, I'm just a kid. I'm too young. It didn't work for Timothy. I've sinned. I've messed it up. It didn't work for Peter. And I'm all alone. It didn't work for Elijah. The Bible is so inclusive of people that make excuses for stepping out. You know why? Because greater is God that's inside of you, 1 John 4, 4, than the junk that you're facing outside of you. The mess that's going on outside of your life, relationally, physically, mentally, emotionally, the mess that's going on outside of your life is not greater than the God that's on the inside of your life. And the God that's inside of your life knows how to architecturally design to bring you through it. So it's imperative that you learn to listen to him in prayer and then second of all, learning that you're going to have to take steps out because God gave you the Holy Spirit. He's called the paraclete in the Greek. And what para means to draw close to you. You need to draw close and the Holy Spirit wants to draw very close to you and he doesn't draw close to excuses. He draws close to faith. Well, what is faith? 
Faith is doing the impossible, believing for the impossible. Number three, some steps are larger than others. Some steps are larger than others. The larger the step, the greater the faith in the plan that's needed. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. He made a statement. I weary of people who call it faith when they can't tell you any plans that God has. That's not me saying that. That's Chuck Swindoll. He says, because how many times that people say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. And you know what? And see, they don't, they haven't prayed about it. It was somebody else's dream or somebody else succeeded with it. I remember when God had um, began to move inside of me and say, look, I want you to be a builder. Now, I want you to know that I had never built anything in my life. And I didn't really know how to build or what building really was, but the Lord had put it in my heart to be a builder. I had no idea that he was going to train me because it was just a plan of his plan that as I was building buildings, it was, I was going to do something even way more important. It was build lives. But he was showing me that just like building buildings was architecturally put together, that there was a design for it, there was a right way to put the wall and a wrong way to put the wall, and that there was a grand scheme to all of it, so did God. Many are the plans that, God, that man has, but the Lord has a, a design. He's fashioned your days. That's what God has. And so many times people go, I just want to do my own thing. And I'll never forget, I mean, God, you know what happens is, is when you start doing things the way God wants you to do, you succeed. Because it's not you, it's God in you that did it. So my business just went, took off. Why? Because I wasn't doing what I was gifted at. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to sell boats. That's what I wanted to do. And God says, nope, I want you to be a builder. He says, if you sell boats, you're going to be all about yourself and you're, because you know boats. You're going to do what you know to do. And you're going to be all about yourself. You're not going to lean into me. I'm going to get you to do something you have no idea what you're doing. I'm going to call you a builder. And all of a sudden, God goes, you're a builder. And I looked in the mirror and go, no, you're not. And I says, God goes, you're a builder. I go, no, I'm not. You're a builder. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know is what God said about my life was more important than what I said. And all of a sudden, I, went, I had to look in the mirror and go, you're a builder. I'm a builder. Because I had to start recognizing that what God said about my life was more important than what I said about my life. I had to start, and I remember going into rising a building center in my first home I'm building. And they gave me a, 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 a literally a, 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 a spec sheet, a, a, what they call it, a materialist. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't, I go, what's that? And they laughed at me. They laughed at me. They mocked me inside of rising a building center. And I looked at him, and then the boldness of God came out. I says, you're laughing now, but two years from now, I'm going to be one of your biggest builders. You know why? Because I knew the God inside of me was greater than the dumb that was outside of me. And there was all kinds of dumb. All kinds of it. And I faced that fear, and I remember going in. You know, us men, we hate have, we, we want to be honored. I hate going into a place where I feel stupid. Well, you know what? Being a parent, you, you know what? You ain't going to want to be a parent because you're going to go into a place you feel stupid real quick. But I learned how to face it. It's not about how smart I am. It's not about my experience. Do I believe God called me a parent? And so if he called me a parent, then I'm going to be a, a parent. And I'm going to do things out of his strength not my strength. He called me to be a builder. I'm going to do it out of his strength and not 
my strength. And you know what's so funny is that then all of a sudden I, other people around me in the church, guess what they try to do? They try to be a builder because they thought, well, if Pastor Ron, I get what their reasoning was. If he can do it, anybody can do it. I get what their reasoning was. But they weren't doing what God told them to do. They were looking at what somebody else's success was, and they thought if he can do it in that person, then I'm just going to follow the same thing. And guess what they didn't do? They didn't succeed. Because they weren't doing what God had called them to do. I was doing what God had called me to do. And everybody else is looking at it and go, that guy is not that bright. He doesn't understand what he's doing. But somehow he's having success because he's obeying. It wasn't about being a great builder. It's just about obeying God. So when God tells you to give, or God tells you to serve, or God tells you to humble yourself, or God tells you to go over there and encourage, when you start doing that, you'll have great success because you're just obeying what God asked us to do and by the way God will ask you and he'll start it'll be those little things first but God never stop asking he'll never stop asking it'll just be bigger things he asks of you more and more things that he'll ask of you to do you know why because God wants to show off who he is in your life let, let me make it simple on YouTube, so many people follow YouTube, right? And one of the things I like to show people, my new thing I like, is this thing called a ripsaw. And if anybody, you guys know it, it's, it's a tank. I think every guy should own one and every gal should drive one. It's literally a tank that's out there. You can YouTube, don't do it now, but you can, you can YouTube this thing. This thing, no one can afford it. It's, it's a half a million dollar cool vehicle, okay? And this thing literally flies over things and, and, and can go through things. I don't care what it is. I thought, Lord, if you could give me one of these things, I'd be the coolest dude on Silver Lake. All right? He's not going to do that. All right? But anyway, it's just a really cool, we, we love to look at these things. Why? Because they're wild out there. They're, they're, they're imaginations that are really big. You know what you don't see? is a 1967 Polaris on YouTube. Nobody cares. Right? You don't see it because everybody wants the big thing, the, the wow factor. Let me tell you something. You know what happens? God's a wow. He is a huge wow. And what's happened is us Christians have dumbing it down to the point where there's no wow factor. I'm going to tell you something. If we realize how big God is and that he's lighting the candle in people's lives, that we wouldn't start, we would be the people that are so full of YouTube telling people who Jesus is. Somebody say amen. It's so, it is about time for us to realize that you know what God does on the inside and what's happened is, is the church is more enamored by the outside than the inside. And we shouldn't be. We should be more enamored by what God's doing on the inside. For instance, Quincy, who plays the drums. I don't know if Quincy's in the room right now. But I, you know what? I went and gave him a butt kick this morning, all right? And I said, Quincy, I have watched Jesus come through your life and give you a gift. I've tried to do what you do. I can't. I don't have the gift. I've tried to play guitar. Can't do it. I, you know what? I, I, I wish I could sing. I can't sing to that. I don't have your gift makeup. I says, give it all but here's what happens is, is, the, is all of a sudden the world, you, you get all excited about things and then it just weans, right? So this person who accepted Christ this last week, what does he have to look forward to? 
to all of us and that five years later you're going, eh, it's no big deal. Or is it, man, God's done so many amazing things in my walk. I can't wait. Let me tell you something. I love being a Christian. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I have had easier occupations. Okay? Being a pastor is not an easy occupation. But there's nothing better than being a Christian. I love to, and I'll say this right online, sell Christianity. And what I mean by that is the product of Christianity is Jesus Christ. And there is no greater, there is nothing greater underneath heaven than Jesus Christ. And what he has done in my marriage is nothing but supernatural. What he's done with my adoptive daughters is so pure and beautiful. Is, you know what? I could sit and brag about it. What he's done in my finances, I could marvel over and over. What he's done with my physical body. At 40 years old, I was diagnosed with arthritis. And look at man, I'm out there snowboarding. All right, at almost 60 years old. What God is, I could sell Christianity. I love it. And the reason I love it is because it's true. It is so true. All of us should be all about sharing Jesus Christ. There is nothing great. And I don't do it because it's my occupation. Are you serious? I do it because I believe. I believe. I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection power. I believe that Nehemiah, 400 BC, was sitting there facing, going, what am I, what can I do that nobody else does it? But yet there was something inside of him. He goes, God is moving in my heart and I've got to fulfill what he's asked of me. I believe he's moving over this congregation right now on the same thing. Number four, when God asks you to step out, don't look for someone else's footprint. I'll go when somebody else is there. You know, I mean, kind of we do that with snow sometimes, right? We all of a sudden we want to step in to those tracks that already, so we don't get the snow up inside of our, our shoes or whatever. We step into someone else's footprint. Let me tell you something. God has a footprint that, that for you that nobody else has been before. He's got something inside of you that's so rich and so genuine and so specific that he has for your life. In fact, last week I met a, a sister in our church that said, look, Pastor, you talked about that trafficking. I believe God has had me, and I have a house that I believe that he's given to me to literally house these gals. This week I just had somebody talk to me, says, Pastor, I really believe that we need to start the men's ministry. Another one said, I need to work with, them. what's happening is God is moving on people's hearts. What is he doing inside of you? Something inside, well, just because we don't have it yet doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do it yet. In fact, did he put you in this very place at this very time to make that footprint for him? Number five, don't step back when you feel resistance. Next week we're going to be talking about, there's going to be um, Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem. They, they literally were set up by the enemy. You, when you do what God's asked of you, it will be met with resistance. And I want to get into that. That's next week's message. You will have resistance for your marriage. You will have resistance for your children. You'll have resistance for your giving. You'll have resistance for the ministry, the service. You will be met with resistance. And then number six, we're closing on this. The high cost, stepping out, will always lead to pressure. You know, um, I don't know, this is kind of an older movie now, but um, or older animated show, Toy Story. Do you remember the dinosaur? I don't like confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Backing up, and I don't like confrontation. You know, and I really believe that the, a lot of times the church, I believe the world is in a mess today because of that. We're all, many of us, the culture is that dinosaur. That we won't confront sin. 
that we won't confront right from wrong, that when truth rises up inside of us, that we, we choose so many times what's going to be user-friendly or people-friendly rather than truth. And yet Jesus came here to speak the truth in love. And by the way, he didn't say I'm speaking love and for trying to find truth. He says I speak the truth in love. I speak the truth. The greatest experiences in my walk have been people have been truthful with me. One of my, uh, an elder many years ago and I was asked to start leading a group and I thought I was, you know, I, I was all excited. I thought they're going to ask me to lead a small group. And I was one year old in Jesus and I mean, I was all kinds of zeal and, and all kinds of mess. And this brother says, you're not ready for that yet. And it was so hard for me to hear that. Or when my, two of my best friends pulled aside and go, you're a terrible husband. You think you're a great husband. You think you work really hard at providing for your wife and everything else. But man, the way you treat Brenda, you, you're condescending and you're, you know, and you just don't, you're, you're using her name in, in ways that, that are hurtful and she loves you and I know that you love her, but your expressions and your mannerisms are so hurtful and they will have a huge price to pay. You need to change. There's truth. I'll never, you know, when my pastor um, pulled me aside, and, you know, and, and actually, I'll, I'll give you a different one. I went to my pastor, and I said, you know, uh, his name was Pastor Bernie at the time, and I said, you know, Pastor Bernie, I go, uh, you and your wife don't have a, a, a marriage that I look up to. You're 12 years the senior of my marriage, and my, Brent and I, we're, we're so much farther down the path of romance and, and, and uh, unity and, and, and devotion with Jesus you should be the mark that I'm, I'm aiming at. And, I, and you're, you, right now, it looks like your mark be aiming at ours. I spoke the truth. I didn't love. I sat on it for months and waited for the right time to develop it or share it. We were on our way up to Big Star Lake do a, a, a conference together. You know, speaking the truth today seems to be a lost space of Christianity. We tell everybody what they want to hear. We, we look at each other, we look in one's eyes and we measure how much we can share. I didn't share this in first service, so somebody needs to hear this today. God disciplines those whom he loves. And I have found over and over that love um, comes into a space where it's not what I want to hear, it's what I needed to hear. And I don't know if you're there in that, that place, but all of us need to be there. I'm in that place right now. I say, God, I keep making the same mistake in leadership. I don't make this mistake outside the church, but I seem to make it inside the church. And I, I'm not going to blame anybody else. It's me. I'm the common denominator. I'm the one that keeps going in this circle. So, Lord, I, first of all, I'm sorry. That's the first place. I, I humble myself, God, and I, and I want to have a teachable heart. Teach me your ways. And I quiet myself. And then you know, what the, you know what happens is the noise. The noise of what happened 15 years ago. And then the noise of 10 years ago. And then the noise of five years ago. And then the current noise that's going on. But you can't hear God when it's noisy. And so I'm in this space. I'm like Nehemiah right now. 
I'm in that place. I don't know how long it's going to take for me to quiet it, but I got to get to that place in prayer when it's not about what happened 15 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or, or presently. It's not about what's going on in your marriage right now. You can't hear God for your tomorrow if all you're doing is think, replaying what happened yesterday. The only way you can get into a space of stepping into what all God has for your life is when you can silence the storm. Isn't that beautiful about what, what happened to Elijah? When Elijah got into that place, look it up, Google it. And Elijah's in this place, earth, wind, and fire. Goes through an earthquake, a windstorm, and a firestorm. And God's not in any of it. And he waits for the space, and all of a sudden God's in that still, quiet place. Isn't that us? We're always in the, God, where are you in the storm? Fix it. And God goes, I'm right here. I'm waiting for you to give me the storm, but I don't want to talk to you in the storm. I don't want to go over there and met, let you think that I'm only around the storm. Because it seems like a lot of people, the only time they reach out to God is when they're in the storm. And God's going, look, I want you to quiet the storm. I want you to hear my place in my life. And I have a way to succeed in your walk. God wants to be more than just to, you know, pick up the ruins. He wants to build in your life. In fact, Jeremiah says, I, I pluck up, I'll pull out, you know, four things, tear down, tear out. And then he says, I want to build and plan. Are you in the, have you ever got to the place where God can build and plan in your life? Or is it always where God's tearing up, tearing down, plucking up, plucking out? You know, things that are in your path. God does that. That's what, what we call is the excavator. That's what I always do before I build a house. I hire my excavator. But I haven't built anything yet. And I think so many times we're asking God, okay, God shows up because God will be an excavator. But where God wants to, you know what, I've never had a customer happy when I've excavated. They never are, good job excavating. Nice job getting the ground all leveled out. <laughs> I've never yet had a customer, I'm ready to pay you now. You know, Ron, you just did such a great job building. It isn't until the foundation's laid, until the walls are built. And now all of a sudden they go, whoa, the dream starts to happen and unfold. Build and plant. I believe that God's right now speaking to some of you right now. He wants to build and plant. And that many of us go through, what we go through is crisis after crisis, drama after drama. God wants to build and plant in your life. And you need to pray. You need to pray and let God heal you and so that you don't recreate the drama all over again. I've seen it relationally. I've seen it with health. I've seen it with parenting. I've seen it with finances. It is just a way that Satan works. Satan is not omnipresent. God is. And what Satan will do is create crisis in your life and come in really hard and bring all the drama and then to step back, wait for you to just get all, go all crazy over the drama. And then all of a sudden you get your life and all of a sudden you start asking for God to come in and do the excavating and heal it. 
Never to build and plant, because before you start building and planting, here comes Satan again. Build all the crisis base again. Father, I thank you so much for your truths. I thank you that you want to build and plant. Lord, your ways are a future and a hope for our life. And Father, I'm grateful for those places where you excavate. God, you've done that in my marriage. You've done that in my finances. You've done that, Lord, over the arthritis. All those thoughts. You want to just, just tear those thoughts right out of our lives. And you want us to hear what you say. That we're a great husband or we're a, a great wife or we're a, a great father or a great mother or we're that we're a great employee or a great employer. It's not anything that we've done. That greatness is what you call us. That we're what you call us to be. If you're here this afternoon and you don't know how to hear God's voice, well, the first place you start is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you begin to accept that He forgives you, that He loves you, that He sent His only Son to Jesus to die on the cross for your mess, and yeah, you'll create another mess. That's just the way life rolls. And He'll forgive you as you ask. And He'll excavate it as you ask. And then He'll build and plant as you pray and believe. Will you allow God to begin to build your life in, in relationship with Him? Will you surrender your life right now and all you need to do is pray this prayer with me. Follow me, church, follow me in this prayer, all of us. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, I surrender my life into Jesus' hands. I accept, I accept His forgiveness, His plan. In Jesus' name, I'm all yours. Amen. Let's stand up and let's worship our Jesus together. If you liked this message, we want you to share it. Subscribe to more podcasts through mylifechangechurch.tv. Get involved. Ask for prayer. Share your story. Go to mylifechangechurch.tv. I'm Karma Adams, producer. We'll see you next week.